Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Watford Football Club are 17th in the Premier League table. They're a place above the relegation zone with two games to play. The Hornets, three points better off than their closest rivals. Now the club have moved to sack manager Nigel Pearson. Javi Grazia, Kike Sanchez-Flores, Hayden Mullins, now Nigel Pearson, four different managers this season at Vicarage Road. When will this hire and fire culture at Watford come to an end? And more importantly, what do the fans think? We'll be getting stuck into the big news and stories in the Premier League on today's Football Social Daily, the only podcast keeping you up to speed with all the news and opinion from England's top flights every single day of the season. So hit the subscribe button and join the growing community of people who listen to the show seven days a week. Not only did Nigel Pearson's departure make waves yesterday, so did Spurs' demolition of Leicester in the Premier League, as well as David De Gea's horror show in the FA Cup semi-final at Wembley. Chelsea delighted as they reach another cup final. AFC Bournemouth not so much in terms of Premier League affairs. Another defeat yesterday leaves them clinging on to top flight life by their fingernails. We'll have all of that, plus previews of tonight's action where Brighton play Newcastle, Sheffield United welcome Everton and Crystal Palace travel to Wolves. I'm Niall McCorn. Welcome along to Football Social Daily. To chew the fat today, and trust me, there's a full three-course meal to digest. Jim Salverson's here. Hello, Jim. Hey, Niall. You're all right. Very well, mate. Yeah, enjoying today. It's like the start of a new week, the final week of the season. I know. There's like six match days still to go. Seems <laughs> insane, doesn't it? There's like so many games still to go, yet we're, we're, we're reaching the end of the season and the beginning of next season. We're within touch and distance as well. I know. Unbelievable. So much football, but not a lot to complain about, especially if you're Steve McNaughton, who's a Liverpool fan, joining us on today's show. Hello, Steve. Good morning, Niall. You okay? Yeah, I'm very well. I'm just wondering whether you feel the the narrative on social media is correct that Leeds Leeds title win of the championship overshadows Liverpool's win. <laughs> <sighs> 
Who's saying that? <laughs> I agree with it. <laughs> no one, I'm just trying well, to wind well, you up. <laughs> standard Jim Salverson, he agrees with it. <laughs> 16 years out of the Premier League, Steve, and they're back. It's been a long Don't time even, coming. Do not go there, Jim. I have, I have not got the energy for this today. <laughs> <laughs> there is only one place to start on today's show, and that is Watford. Yesterday, midway through Bournemouth's vital Premier League clash with Southampton, the news broke that Nigel Pearson will be leaving Watford Football Club with immediate effect, with the club sitting in 17th, a place above the relegation zone, and with a three-point cushion to those below them. There are two games to go, and those two games are against Manchester City and Arsenal. With it being so close to the end of the season and Pearson so close to completing the job he was brought in to do, this was really surprising news, even for a club as erratic in the managerial department as Watford are. A club statement released yesterday by the Hornets actually broke their website. There was a server error because so many people were trying to read what was going on, but when it finally loaded the webpage, it was a rather brutal farewell. This is the statement. Watford FC confirms Nigel Pearson has left the club with immediate effect. Hayden Mullins will take up the position of interim head coach for the final two fixtures of the season. There will be no further club comment. Not so much as a thank you, a wish you well for the future, nothing of that ilk at all. So questions over whether Pearson was sacked or walked, but whatever the scenario, Jim, he's no longer their manager... And it's a puzzling and surprising decision, is it not? It would be a puzzling and surprising decision if it wasn't Watford. <laughs> but I think calling it surprising isn't surprising. <laughs> I mean, they just seem to shed managers. And I don't think we... I mean, you called it a hiring and firing culture at the club. It, it's more than a culture because it appears to be a strategy to kind of refresh the management every year, almost every season, certainly every two seasons. Um, I don't know what that strategy can bring to the football club but it certainly appears to be what the Pozos want to do I think what is potentially surprising is the timing of the announcement and to get rid of Nigel Pearson two games before the end of the season in a season which to me on the face of it looks like he has kind of done the job he was brought in to do Watford were dead and buried when Nigel Pearson came in and he's turned him around he's got those vital wins and now they look I mean if their last two games weren't quite so tricky of the season, you'd say they were kind of safe with the goal difference they've got. But, I mean, who knows? Six is the difference between them and Aston Villa in terms of goals now and three points. So, And they do have West Ham on the last day of the season, Villa. <laughs> so Villa, yeah. there's so, always I mean, a chance. Yeah, I mean, it could be a little bit dicey towards the end. But I think, for me, the, the decision is non... Looks like from the outside it, that it's a non-footballing decision. There's been some kind of disagreement, some kind of argument that's taken place between Nigel Pearson and the board. Otherwise, why wouldn't they have waited until the end of the season to make that change? Pearson on Twitter said this, Steve. I've been overwhelmed by the well wishes I've received from Watford supporters in the football community. Thanks for all your kind messages. Although not able to finish the task I was brought in to achieve, I wish Watford all the best for the final two games. Cheers, Nigel. What do you make of that, Steve? Um, I just think that is... He's doing it with a bit of dignity. He's going out with a bit of class. And I, I, when I seen the Sky Sports news alert yesterday, I was just shocked by the timing. Uh, you know, mainly, I just thought with two games left and to put Hayden Mullins in charge for two games, I'm not quite sure of the logic. I mean, I hadn't thought of the, the argument behind the scenes that Jim just mentioned, so that there might be something in that. I don't know. But I just <laughs> think that um, he's brought in, he's, he's been brought in to do a job. Um, he, he's effectively done jobs. I think they weren't these seven points uh, rooted to the bottom of the table in December by seven points. I might be wrong on that, um, but you know he, he's got them in a position. I think they'll be okay. I actually think they'll get a result against Arsenal. Uh, I think it'll be a draw or, or, or you know, heaven forbid, a win. 
I don't see Watford going down. I think, yes, it's squeaky bum time, um, but I think they'll be okay. I think the other two are, are, are doomed, to be fair. But Nigel Pearson, uh, he's a class act. I think he's done some really good things. They were outstanding when, when they beat you know my team 3-0. And um, and they played some good football at times, but it just appears that they've just run out of a bit a bit of steam at the wrong time. Okay, well that's our initial reaction. What about what the fans think? You might have heard in the background there are a couple of oohs and ahs because joining <laughs> us for his thoughts, we've got Colin, who's from the Watford podcast from the Rookery End. Hello, Colin. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Slightly perplexed and baffled, but um, also I've got some I've got some stuff that I think might clear up the reasons for the departure. Oh. Um, <laughs> So, yes, um, when he came in, we had got nine points from 16 games and we were, as you say, rooted to the bottom and it seemed like an impossible job. And uh, he took us on this fantastic run. He seemed to change the attitude of the squad, seemed to bring them together, started getting uh, tune out of certain players who'd been underperforming, particularly Decore. And um, and he got Deeney back uh, when he arrived, and that's always a good thing because even though he's kind of a non-goal-scoring number nine in terms of the sort of Danny Ings-type figure, he needs or gets ten a year. He has a kind of leadership quality on the pitch, and um, yeah, he can create space for other players by his sort of physical approach. But uh, and you're quite right to point out that we played very well against Liverpool and won three nil. But that seems like mm-hmm. a sort of eon ago now. Um, partly because of the lockdown, but also since we've come back from lockdown, there's not something's not been quite right. Um, anyway, um, listen, remember I'm a fan and I'm not a journalist, so whatever I say now is just stuff that I've heard on the rumour mill. Um, it's alleged, it's not definite, but um, apparently at half-time, uh, when we were 3-0 down to West Ham, whenever it was a few days ago, there was a massive bust-up in the, in the, in the dressing room. Um, that I think approached sort of a physical uh, element. And as I say, this is all alleged and we don't know for certain. But when it gets to that stage, when it gets that toxic between the players and the coaches, uh, the owners who obviously have their eye on trying desperately to stay in the Premier League, they have to act. You can't, you can't just pour cold water on something as bad as that. After the game... He locked the door in the dressing room. There was another massive argument between players and staff, uh, and I'm assuming Nigel Pearson was in the middle of all that. And after that, his, when that's all subsided, they get on the coach, everyone goes home. The owners have got a decision to make because you say, well, if things have got to the point where players are backing each other, they're arguing with the coach, there may even be some sort of pushing and shoving in the dressing room at half-time. Then you think, OK, well, we, we've kind of got to do something about this. Now, listen, Nigel Pearson has been brilliant for us. And if we stay up, it will be all about him, frankly. I mean, there's no mm. doubt about that. Mm. But he has got form. And uh, despite the kind of new Nige that we thought we saw, uh, the calm Nige, the Nige that wasn't going to throttle players on the, um, <laughs> on, the, on the touch line or get into arguments with the press, he's been very calm. He's been very kind of positive and assured. But... You know, there is that, there's that fire in him. And that's part of the reason he's a good coach. But if it's exploded, then the owners have to do something because they're desperate to get... We only need a point. One more point will do it. Um, can't see us getting it against City. But then City is so awful at the moment. Maybe maybe we can sort mm-hmm. of grub a nil-all draw. You just don't know, do you? So um, there's just one point. And I think they felt that if it was that toxic, they had to make a move. And uh, the players like Hayden Mullins. Hayden Mullins... Um, Came in for a couple of games between Kike Sanchez Flores and mm. Nigel Pearson. Did fine. He's he's clearly uh, a, a could be a galvanising 
sort of influence on the team. Also, you know, when you when the person that has gone, the players then really only have themselves to look at. And if they look at each other and go, right, we better do this because we've kind of caused this in some way. Maybe that will be something that brings them back together because we have had, we've played seven games since the lock since restart, and every single game of that seven, we have been awful in the first half. We've come out, we've conceded first in every single game that we've played, and uh, we've been in a way fortunate to get back uh, to beat Norwich with a, a sort of worldy overhead kick from Danny Welbeck and then two penalties against Newcastle. We have performed better in the second half, but the first halves have been awful. And I think that was probably what made Nigel snap, if indeed he did snap. And as I say, all this is alleged. The performance in the first 20 minutes against West Ham was so abject. It was like we were already relegated. And actually, we're not. We're, we're, uh, you know, It's mm. amazing to me that we're not in the bottom three, frankly. But we're not in the bottom three. We're three points above Villa and Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth have only got one game left, so they, they can only match our points tally. Villa have got to play Arsenal after we play City. Can't really see Villa getting anything more than a draw against Arsenal the way they're playing at the moment. So if they lose that game, a point will be enough. And, you know, we're, so, so there's an opportunity here for us to stay up. What they do then, I mean, I don't know. When I look back through the history of the Pozzo's treatment of managers and the way that they've uh, moved them on, in many ways, there have always been good reasons for doing it. And obviously, from the outside, it looks like there's just a merry-go-round. Uh, so originally, we had Kike, and Kike put a break clause in his contract and left after a year. He wanted to go back to Spain. He, in fact, managed Espanyol, which was his hometown club, so that you could see that that was going to happen. Mazzari was, didn't learn English, was a very kind of aggressive um, chap who, and the squad weren't too keen on He was always yelling and screaming. He bashed, I went and saw the dugout. He bashed a hole through the dugout perspex because he was so angry. So he was this kind of very, but tactically the players all said he was spot on, but he just wasn't, didn't have the character to be, uh, to be long-term. And then we had Marco and we all had high hopes for Marco. We thought, here comes Marco, he's going to be our savior. And within 10 games, Everton said, we want Marco and Marco's head started spinning mm -hmm. like the girl in the exorcist. So, you know, we, <laughs> we lost him. Then we got Javi, who was the total opposite. Very calm, no ego, steadied the ship got us, kept us safe, then in the next season got us to a cup final in the top 10 for most of the season. But something went wrong there as well, and it, that was the one that I find most perplexing. I don't know whether they didn't really trust him, didn't really back him, didn't really give him the players he wanted or whatever it was, but we lost four, four games at the beginning of a season, which sets alarm bells, would set alarm bells off in any club, I think. They made the change, we'd got thumped in the cup final, and so then they got Kike back, which was a disaster, and then they got Nigel, and now you know, the pressures of being a Premier League head coach, and I say head coach advisedly because when you come to Watford, you are not the manager. It's a different sort of model from mm. the kind of Sean Dyche at Burnley or the Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, where they are really in charge of the playing staff. Who comes in? Who goes out? Those are managers. At Watford, you have a head coach because the owners and the, you know, the, the, the board, if you like, uh, and they have this you know, world-renowned scouting system. They want to bring players in. They want to be in charge of that. And the head coach just has to deal with the cards he's given. I'd always, I'd heard similar things about the bus stuff in the dressing room. And I, the rumours that I heard, and like, as you say, it is all rumours at the moment, were connected to both the playing staff and the board yeah. feeling that there was kind of a tactical inflexibility, I guess, that Nigel Pearson had his way of playing, his way of setting up. And it maybe didn't take into account who the opposition were or what stage the game was at, depending on what changes he made. And that was kind of the frustration that has led to 
his departure. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that is true. Although they weren't complaining when we were winning, so <laughs> yeah. um, you know. But we are in a perilous position, and if we any team uh, of the size of Watford, and it's the same for Bournemouth really and Norwich. Norris seemed prepared for relegation. I don't think they ever really expected to stay up. With Bournemouth and Watford, who are si clubs of a similar size, relegation could be a total disaster. We've seen it with clubs like Charlton, Portsmouth, Sunderland, Stoke. You know, you could drop into the Championship. It doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to do well in that league, let alone mm. get up. So, and, and the loss of cash, the loss of players, the loss of prestige, uh, the loss of attractiveness to... Uh, potential signings you know it is an absolute catastrophe for Watford if we go down it means we have to completely reset the business model and start all again from scratch and that is clearly something they don't want to do but um, I don't know that he was inflexible I think that's a bit harsh on Nigel actually I think he with the players he had beyond the, the, the first 11 they were mostly kids and he felt in a massive relegation battle, perhaps throwing kids into that. We had Jao Pedro, you know, Ismail Saar is the one real exception, I guess, mm. um, in terms of playing someone that young. But, uh, you know, Tom Deli Bashiru, Domingos Quina, Spencer Adams is a centre-back who's played for us in the Cup. You know, there are some young players who look good, particularly Bashiru, I think. Although Quina has incredible energy and can come on and really sort of set about a team and we've seen him do well in the Premier League in pre in the previous season but he didn't seem to want to use those players he was determined to use uh, Hughes in a defensive role and and keep going with Deeney why Deeney was playing against West Ham I will never know I know he scored a goal but the man is cropped you know why would you put a player who might at best be 75% fit with a dodgy knee that needs draining after every game, why would you put him in there? There are, you know, you could have pushed Welbeck into the middle. You could have uh, tried again with Gray. You've got Jao Pedro who can play up, up as a number nine. He's a young kid from Brazil. He hasn't got any fear. Let him have a go. But no, it was it was uh, always Dini. And, and I understand that because, as I explained, Dini is a sort of galvanising figure and a leader on the pitch. And we never look quite the same when he's not on the pitch. And that's something we're going to have to deal with at some point because he can't go on forever. But to play him with a knee that's as badly... Mm damage as that that seems crazy to me maybe that was one of the things but I, I agree with your original point as far as I'm aware the owners the board people from above the head coach were in that dressing room or trying to get in that dressing room and I think once once you end up with a situation as toxic as that what are you going to do as an owner you're just going to say oh well we'll just go again on you know, on Tuesday and get battered six seven nil in the first 20 minutes as they did to us in the early part of this season, they're well capable of it. Or do we make a change, remove the person that we think is uh, is the only person you can remove, really? Let's face it, you can only remove the head coach, you can't remove the 11 players. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not going to sack themselves. So you remove the coach, you bring back Hayden, who the players do like, I think, and, and respect. And he is, again, somebody very inexperienced. He's got Graham Stack with him. And maybe they can just say, right, this is what we're going to do. We've got two games, we need a point. Everyone just, you know, take a deep breath, forget about what's just happened and let's just concentrate on staying in this league. Because let's not forget, for lots of these players, uh, it would also be very damaging to their careers if they drop into the championship. Not because some of them wouldn't think, you know, Roberto Pereira is going to leave, uh, Jose Holobas is going to leave. They, these are the sort of older senior players, even possibly Capu might, might go back to France. He's been talking about that for the last couple of years. But actually, it's the other players that aren't going to get a move. So Danny Welbeck, Tom Cleverley, Will Hughes, they're not going to get snapped up necessarily by a mid-table Premier League club. 
And so it's really important for them as individuals. You consider the, the, the drop in wages that will be built into their contracts if they get relegated, the drop, as I say, in prestige and opportunity, visibility uh, in terms of foot, the footballing world. It all goes out the window. And so it's really in their own interests to come out and fight like tooth and nail to get this one point that we need. Mm. And it remains to be seen whether they will do that. Colin, in a word, are Watford Football Club staying up? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, that More will do. We'll, we'll leave it at the soundbite. <laughs> the uh would do me perfectly. Thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate a fan's insight on the situation down there at Vicarage Road and appreciate your time on today's Football Social Daily. That's Colin from the Watford podcast from Thank the Thank you very much. A real pleasure. Thank you. N- no worries at all. Go and check it out um, wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a Watford fan, certainly a must listen. Right, that's it for the first part of today's Football Social Daily. We're off for a quick break, but we'll be back after this. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. Be gambleaware.org. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your only daily Premier League podcast. Seven days a week, every day of the football season, we'll have a brand new podcast for you. So make sure you smash that subscribe button however you listen to your podcasts and you'll be notified of a new episode straight away. Now, will Bournemouth be a Premier League side next season? Will we be talking about them on the podcast no. next season? Thank you, Jim. That's this part of the podcast over. Moving on. Uh, of course, we've got to talk about their game against Southampton yesterday in the Premier League. It finished 2-0 to Southampton, but it could easily have been very different. Bournemouth, the story of their season, they miss chances, Steve, and not for the first time. Surely that's the Cherries' finish now. Their five-year Premier League stay is coming to an end. Yeah, they're, they're done, sadly, Niall. I think the, the journey's come to an end and Bournemouth have been punching well above the weight for, for a long time in terms of the size of the club, you know, the, 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 the capacity that you can get in there. You know, they are a really small fish in a large pond and, and you know it's come to, to roost that after five years that they've they've just run out of legs with it and um, I think Bournemouth will, will look back on this and I think financially they'll probably be okay due to parachute payments and stuff like that unless there's something in their accounts that comes out but I think they paid the price for for I, what I think is a poor transfer policy I, I don't think they've signed real quality um, and I don't think they've signed the players, and I think they've signed some mental fees for players to get them to Bournemouth. And I think, you know, you can't keep operating like that. You can't, you know, hope just to survive and pick up results along the way. You've got to be mm. really kind of rigid in your approach, and you've got to be geared up to to do it. And I think if you'd have said to Bournemouth when they first got promoted, you know, five years ago, listen, you will have five years in the top league. I think they'd have did a bit your hand off for it mm. and, and to have the adventures and some of the results that that they've had. But Eddie Howe has been talked about previously for, for big jobs. I think his stock has probably been slightly damaged, but I don't think critically damaged in terms of him getting another job. I think, you know, I just joked about it in the last part of the podcast and that, you know, but, you know, is he someone that Watford would look to? I mean, I don't think Colin, <laughs> you know, wants that, but, you know, he's, he's a young manager and he has played good football at times, but they've just, it's just, you know, run out of legs, like I say, and the whole thing is, you know, just just come falling down, really. Um, mm. I think due to poor transfer policy, they have had some injuries, you know, there's no doubt about that. 
Um, you know, Mepham's being ruled out now for I think six weeks as well, hasn't he? So he's probably going to miss the start of next season as well. And um, it's a shame, but three do have to go. And um, you know, can they bounce back straight away? Who knows? I think we should underline that transfer policy as Bournemouth look to the best talent in the Championship and try and pick up players um, from maybe the sort of mid-table uh, playoff Championship sides. I'm thinking the likes of Bristol City and perhaps clubs like Derby County where they try and bring players in from there. That is their policy. Yeah. And maybe Steve's right, it hasn't worked. But in terms of Eddie Howe and Eddie Howe's stock, there was a really poignant photo that I saw, Jim. I thought it was brilliant. You know, obviously, because we're playing behind closed doors, the seats are covered with tarpaulin, which often has like the club crest mm. and the sponsor's logo. There was just a quote on one of them, and there was a photo of Eddie Howe looking dejected as he was walking past this banner in the stands, and it said, Eddie had a dream. And I think that's really important because that is exactly what Bournemouth have had. Mm. Since he walked into the club, they were struggling in League Two. He's taken them up through the divisions and kept them in the top flight for five years. Now... You know, being from the South Coast, I know how small a club Bournemouth are and it still baffles me seeing them as a Premier League side every single season. I back them to go down and they don't do it. This mm. season might be the season that they do get relegated, but they have been punching above their weight for so long. And although they've conceded 60 plus goals in the five years per season that they've been in the Premier League, more goals than anyone else... Mm they've done reasonably well to even stay there in the first place. Yeah, and let's not underplay Eddie Howe's achievements at Bournemouth, because as you say, he's taken them from Division 2 to the Premier League. But I think the question marks over Eddie Howe are in what he's done in the Premier League. Mm. And he's kept Bournemouth there with limited resources, but he hasn't adapted Bournemouth in a way that they can stay in the league. Like you say, 60 goals plus a season, every single season since they've been in the league is a huge amount. You think after concede. two seasons conceding that much, you'd want to solve the issue. Yeah, exactly. You'd look at that and go, I need to make my defence more solid. I need to play two defensive midfielders, whatever it is, but you stop those conceding goals because that puts incredible pressure on your strikers. If you're conceding 60-odd at the back, you need to score... I don't know what 50 odd at the, the other end in order to get the points you need to stay up each season and well, who's their top goal scorer this season Callum Wilson probably it'd be Wilson King I mean Wilson spent a time injured Josh King's yeah. been injured they've just been so fits and starts for them I, I all. bet there's not a player in that Bournemouth team who has more than 10 goals this season I could probably I think you, you, don't, don't even look it up Niall I can see you googling <laughs> but I can guarantee you there isn't a player that scored more than 10 this season so I think Eddie Howe is undoubtedly a strong manager has he proved himself in the Premier League by keeping him up in the division for the last five years? Probably not, because he's not proved himself to be able to have that adaptability to change the way a team plays to make them a regular Premier League fixture. So I'd say, even though he has done great things, there's still a little bit of a question mark. There's still whoever takes on Eddie Howe next, be it West Ham, be it Watford or whoever, are taking a massive risk by appointing him. Mm, yeah, I think that's a fair comment. And mm. How much are you putting on your guarantee? Tenner? <laughs> Tenner, yeah, go on, Tenner. Tenner. No, you're right. You would have won. Nine <laughs> goals for Callum Wilson in all competitions this season, not go. even the Premier League. So he is their top scorer uh, at this moment in time. Will, hit the, will this be his last season in the Premier League for a while? Will someone pick him up? I'm sure there's loads of players in those relegation sides that we'll be discussing in future podcasts about who might be picked up. But we've also discussed, Steve, whether Danny Ings might be pinched away from Southampton this summer transfer window with the goal record that he's got amongst the goals again yesterday in the 2-0 victory for Saints and he's actually on a one-man mission to get the golden boot without scoring a single penalty which would be an unbelievable achievement he missed one yesterday but that's not going to dampen his spirits too much because again he's finding the back of the net yeah it, and he's such a great professional Danny Ings and 
you know, I've said it on the podcast before, it breaks my heart that it never worked out at Liverpool because he had rotten luck with, you know, two very, very serious knee injuries. And I think he's actually a better option than Divock Origi, but I just think he's he's just been on a mission and he's, he's the smart finishes he's scoring as well and he's he's very fit, he's, he's strengthened, his energy's great and he's got a tremendous attitude and, um, you know, I think he's, you know, he's, he's, he deserves all applauds that's coming his way because he's a great lad and um, I think people will be circling round him. I think, you know, there's, there's he, the problem he's got is that he's got to decide what, how much he likes it on the South Coast, hasn't he? Because, you know, he's, he is back home playing at Southampton and um, obviously he did say when he, when he was on Merseyside that he did, you know, miss home. And um, I think there was an opportunity in the past to talk to Newcastle as well, and he he didn't want to you know pursue it uh, when he was uh, you know moving on from Liverpool, and I think he's got to decide what he wants really, um, because I think when he's in that kind of goal scoring form, you know he's going to alert teams that do have a problem finding mm-hmm. the back of the net, and um, you know I mean one team that's just come to me head straight away would be Everton, uh, you know who who probably you know he would do a great job for. Um, but he, it's going to be an interesting, I'd usually say summer, but it's just going to be an interesting few weeks, isn't it? <laughs> um, and that's the big challenge that we've got because any decisions that are made are, would have to be made quite quickly. Um, I don't, I'd stay at Southampton if I was him. I think, you know, unless someone like Tottenham come in for him or the Wolves or someone who's, um, you know, going to be really fighting for honours and potential European places and stuff like that. I think he's probably best staying where he wasn't putting his trust in Hasenhutl to take Southampton to uh, a higher level. There's something interesting happening at Southampton at the moment. I, they're playing good football. Is there? Yeah, and I know the. I mean, Bournemouth probably deserved something out of that game at the weekend. They did miss opportunities, but I think Southampton are just playing with an exciting swashbuckling style at the moment. They're pushing mm-hmm. forward. They're scoring goals. And they are, I mean, you mentioned going to Everton. Everton are below them in the table at the moment, which seems like an insane thing to say, given the resource they have. I think the big question for Southampton and for Danny Ings is, are they going to continue to be a selling club they've always been? Are they able to build on the success they've got? Because if they can hang on to key players, they can strengthen in certain areas. They've got the manager. I think they could, I mean, you're not going to see him pushing for top four. But, oh, certainly, on, but certainly, you could see Southampton being a regular top 10 team. Maybe top 10. I can give you, I can give you that. I can give, if Burnley can do it, then I'm sure they yeah. can. Um, and in and a that's, better that, style than Burnley. That's well. putting rivalry aside. But do you not think there's anything in the fact that they're not going down, they're not getting to the Europa League spots, they are playing with that freedom because they simply have no pressure. And I think that beforehand, um, there was a bit of pressure and they picked up a couple of results. But if they were down there scrapping for their life, would they be winning these games this Maybe. convincingly? Maybe, but that can work either not. way, can't it? The the pressure thing, it can cause people to go to absolute pieces, which we've kind of seen with uh, Aston Villa, making mistakes, stray passes, all that kind of thing. And I suppose that's that's the opposite, actually, that is having pressure. <laughs> so completely disregard the point I've just made. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Let me More cutting-edge analysis from Jim Salverson here on Football Social Daily. And on that note, let's move on to Tottenham versus Leicester, where Spurs beat the Foxes by three goals to nil. And speaking of cutting-edge, Harry Kane at the forefront again for Tottenham. I mean, where would they be in the last three or four seasons without his goals? His record is absolutely unbelievable. But let's focus on Leicester first of all. A big Champions League blow for them, Steve. They still can finish in the top four, but will that 3-0 defeat to Spurs destroy their belief of it? I think that yesterday's result was was devastating for Leicester. I think, you know, with United having a game in hand on them as well, and 
you know, you'd fancy United to, to pick some points up in the form that they've been in recently, barring yesterday's result. Um, I just think that the injuries to Leicester that they picked up are, are, are really big. You know, Sonku and Madison being out, and I can't remember who the third one, oh, it's Ben Chilwell, isn't it, who's, who's out as well. And they are three big misses for Leicester. And um, they had a lot of possession at Tottenham yesterday, and I think they had 24 shots on target, which is the most that Tottenham have um, had against them for a long time but it's just not you know the 4-1 at, Le- at Bournemouth the, the 3-0 um, you know the one all the way to Arsenal the, these are res- results that they need to be picking up and I'd, unfortunately I just think Leicester um, are going to run out of games and I think they might go hell for leather next Sunday against United um, and try and pick up three points but I just don't back them to do it and I think it, it'll be Europa League football for them but having said that from where you know where they finished last season and 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 what their objectives will have been this season. You know to get into European football will will have been one of them, and I think that you know to have that Europa League run, um, they'll have probably took that at the start of the season. And I think the big challenge for Leicester is they've got to keep all of their players, and they've got to go again next season. But you know in terms of confidence, there's no doubt about it. You know that that was a slap yesterday for them, and mm. it will um, it will be a knock. I don't think it'll have completely destroyed them mentally, but I think you know there's no getting away from the fact that you know you would have expected them a couple of months ago to get well, maybe not a couple of months ago because we were in lockdown, but pre-lockdown you would have expected them to go to Tottenham and get a result. Really, Jim, they've already guaranteed Europa League next season. So does that, as Steve say, represent a successful st- season for them? Do you think? that this season can be considered successful considering the position that they put themselves in early doors. Depends how you judge it, doesn't it? Whether you go, well, these are our pre-season ambitions and yes, we've done that. And I think for every Leicester City fan, Europa League would have matched those ambitions. But from the commanding position they were in at one stage in the season, you'd have to say to drop as many points as they've dropped has been a disappointment. But I think Steve calls it right. It's probably largely to do with the depth of squad they have at Leicester City and they're still not a big club with a big squad so when you lose key players like Chilwell and Madison you are going to struggle and that's exactly what they've done they've struggled because they haven't got the depth they haven't got the replacements in that squad to fill those voids that have been left behind but I still think yeah it's a decent season Europa football Europa League football is a decent place for them to be and it's a good position for Brendan Rodgers to attract a better quality of players, a bigger squad and build on next season. Not as good as the Champions League would have been though, which is what I would be thinking if I was a Leicester fan. We were in the top four with a with a cushion and, mm. you know, they blew it, Leicester, unfortunately. Well, they could still get into the top four. Let's not write them off just yet. Still a couple of games left to go in the Premier League. But Tottenham Hotspur will be fancying their chances now to tighten their grip on the Europa League places after Son Heung-min scored via a wicked deflection and Harry Kane back the other two goals. Steve, let me just read through some of his stats. 2015 season, 21 goals. 2016, 25. 2017, 29 goals. 2018, 30 goals. And then the last two seasons, 17 goals, including two yesterday. As well. Yeah, as someone who's injured all the time. I mean, Joe McGrath comes on here, and I don't know whether he's joking or just keeping up a persona now by saying he doesn't rate Harry Kane and doesn't <laughs> think he's that good. I think he's world class. I think he's quality. He's one of my favourite Premier League players that I've seen in a long time. Harry Kane's just a normal bloke with a lisp who's come out of school, started playing for Tottenham, and now he's scoring goals for England, and he's their captain, married his childhood sweetheart. There's a lot to like about Harry Kane. Why do some people not like him? He's a goal machine. Uh, the, the honest answer is I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I think these, 
one of the most inoffensive people that that you could come across. Um, you know, he's he's done wonders at Tottenham. He, he does a lot of the, the CSR stuff, you know, behind the scenes and charity stuff. Um, obviously, I'm thinking of the Leighton Orient shirt sponsorship, you know, that, he, that he's done recently. Mm. And he's, he's I think, as he represents England really well as, as the captain. I think, obviously, you know, England are quite fortunate because they have a couple of leaders in that squad. But I think Harry Kane has just been exceptional. I mean, I said previously on the, the, the podcast, when he uh, injured his ankle again very seriously, um, I didn't see a way back for him after after it. I thought, you know, people will be be interested in Harry Kane, but they'll look at him and just go, them ankles are a problem because they're made of matchsticks. Um, but he's got over that. He's got over a very serious hamstring uh, injury that he had uh, earlier this year. And he is phenomenal. And, you know... the goals he scored yesterday that one where he cut in from the outside and just bent it mm. into the corner with the keeper had no chance just if, if Lionel Messi had done that yesterday the, 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 you know the world would have been raving about it but Harry Kane's done it and I think he is absolutely quality and I think Tottenham without Harry Kane would be in a very difficult spot uh, because he, he literally drags them along and, and he gets them achieving results that sometimes you think bloody hell didn't see Tottenham getting that result, you know, like 3-0 against Leicester. Um, I think he deserves everything that's coming his way. I think, you know, he's got a big decision to make, Harry, though, and he's got a lot of people bending his ear at the minute and saying that, you know, he should stay at Spurs because he can win things. But I think, you know, people will have an eye on him and think, you know, this guy can come into the team and, and he guarantees goals. You know, when he plays, he's, he's scoring goals and them stats have kept going up and up and up bar the injury disrupted the seasons when he's got the, the 17s. Um, I just think he'd be worth every penny. I think he'd command 100 million quid. He'd walk into anyone's team. And I think Gary Neville said it when he said he's a no-brainer of a transfer because he's one of them transfers that couldn't go wrong. He would score goals wherever he went. And I think fair play to Harry, Harry Kane. Big fan of his work. I think he is um, exceptional. And I think he would in, in, enrich any squad. I think someone else we need to give credit to after yesterday is... And are you sitting down for this? Because I'm going to give credit to Jose Mourinho. Yeah, no, I've been waiting Jim, all season no, for this. No, I, I no, think he, no. he was He managed that game yesterday absolutely superbly. He did exactly the same against Arsenal in the derby. And Jose Mourinho is the manager who is benefiting most from lockdown. And they made this observation on Match of the Day because there's no way he'd get away with playing the football that he is playing with Spurs if there were fans in that stadium because they'd be booing him off at half-time and booing him off at full-time because it's horrible football. It's Jose Mourinho football, but it's getting results. And it's it's kind of worked against Arsenal and it's kind of worked against Leicester City because they're the teams that will come onto them and they are the mm. teams that attack them and they can just do that. Ping it over the top. He's playing Son and Kane up front. Always got the out ball. Always got two superb strikers that can counter-attack. And it reminded me of Jose Mourinho at Chelsea the very first time when they just worked with counter-attacking football. And he, he will get results that way. The trouble comes when Spurs play teams like Bournemouth, as we saw, where Bournemouth didn't come onto them and Spurs didn't manage a single shot on goal. So I think Jose Mourinho deserves a load of credit for that win and to get the Arsenal win. I didn't, don't even remember the Newcastle game, which they won as well, but <laughs> I assume it was a similar thing there. But yeah, I think fair play, Jose. You get, you're getting results, but when there are fans back in the stadium, it's going to be a whole different kettle of fish. I think I'll Nigel Pearson what, being sacked at Watford has been overtaken as the most shocking bit of information <laughs> I've received in the last 24 hours. Jim's praised ever the pragmatist Jose. 
I tell you what, did you see Jose Mourinho with Colo Torre and Brendan Rodgers as well? No, I haven't seen. Yesterday, oh god, it was it was a scene like because obviously Colo doesn't play football anymore, and he's probably not as trim as he once was when he was playing professional football and training uh, day in day out. So. Jose, uh, there was a little scene where Jose was like tapping his belly and pointing to Brendan Rodgers about it, and, and I just thought it was brilliant. I do love Jose. I mean, shaming. we've always we've always <laughs> yeah. said Jose's box office, isn't he? He, he absolutely is, and uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens with Spurs between now and the end of the season. But they do look like if they keep up this form, they'll be on course for a Europa League spot. If we're talking about form, the inform side in the Premier League is Manchester United, but it wasn't Premier League action for them yesterday at Wembley. It was an FA Cup semi-final against Chelsea and they lost by three goals to one. That unbeaten run that they've been on, that hot streak since before the season's suspension has come to an end, mainly because of their goalkeeper. David De Gea mistakes littered the performance at Wembley in the 3-1 defeat to Chelsea. Is that one mistake too many, Jim? Is his time at Manchester United as number one now in more doubt than ever because there's been more than one mistake and there was more than one yesterday in the game alone mm. which cost his side a place in the FA Cup final arguably so is that his time at Manchester United as number one over? I think it's unfair to completely put the blame at the door of uh, David De Gea on this one because it's that old cliche if you, are, if you are a goalkeeper there is absolutely nowhere to hide if you make a mistake as a goalkeeper it costs your team a goal and that was certainly the case twice in the FA Cup semi-final but Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I think he got the whole team selection wrong. He made mm. too many changes. He shifted his formation slightly as well. And it didn't look like he'd gone out with the ambition to win that game. It looks like he went out with the ambition to rest players and chase that Champions League spot. Mm. But for David De Gea, I mean, he seems like a goalkeeper that is either on permanent decline at the moment or is having a really long slump because it's been a while since we've been questioning his form now I think what you have to do is kind of look back over the previous seasons and maybe the previous three or four seasons where constantly we'd have conversations saying Manchester United would be in real trouble if it wasn't for David De Gea and because of that because his form has been so good and he has been the saviour of Manchester United so many times, I think that buys him a little bit of time and buys him a little bit of credit in the bank. Personally, if I was David De Gea, I think I'd want to move because it feels like he's in a place where he just needs that refreshed challenge. He needs something else. And maybe it's a trip back to Spain. Maybe it's going back to his hometown of Madrid, maybe not with Real, but maybe with Atletico mm. or Getafe or someone like that. But, Getafe? Well, but why not? I mean, why not go and enjoy yourself on the Spanish uh, sunshine for a little I'm bit? I'm sure Getafe would be able to afford his 420 grand a week. Absolutely yeah. no problem, All right, maybe which not. is a big issue because he has just signed a new contract. But the pressure comes, Steve, from Dean Henderson, who's Manchester United's goalkeeper on loan at Sheffield United for this season. A lot of people on social media saying David De Gea's mistakes. I mean, I think, first of all, that it's harsh to say that he's been at fault for all three of the goals yesterday. I thought Brandon Williams has a lot to answer for for the Mason Mount goal, which David De Gea should have done better with, led it for his hands. I think it's two mistakes. I think it's two mistakes. And mm. I think that's the story of Manchester United's game yesterday. But can those that say Dean Henderson is too unproven to take the number one jersey at Manchester United, can they really level that at him after Sheffield United's season? Before Project Restart, they had the tightest defence in the league bar Liverpool, who are the champions. He's kept 13 clean sheets in an outstanding debut season in the top flight. Can you really say about Dean Henderson that he's not proven at the elite level? 
No, I think he's he's had a great season, like you've just said. I think he's on thirteen clean sheets or something like that for the season. Um, I think I don't think he's he's on the uh, he's he's on for the Golden Gloves, but I think he's been absolutely superb. Now, what's quite interesting about this situation is that you've got a goalkeeper that has been in in decline for the last couple of years. And you've got a, a younger goalkeeper who's been on, on loan at a lower league club that's made its way into the Premier League, which first of all surprised everyone. Um, and then you've this this young man has been thrust into action in, in one of the most competitive leagues in the world. And he has delivered. Um, I can't think of many. He made a mistake um, in, in one game, I think, against... Um, well, it was against us, you know, when Genie Wijnaldum had that shot. But apart from that, I think Dean Henderson's been exemplary. And it's a stick-or-twist situation for United now um, because their hand is might be forced on Dean Henderson. Did he either kind of let him go on loan again next season uh, to Sheffield United and, and have another season in the Premier League? But Sheffield United did sign another goalkeeper last week, didn't he, when they signed uh, Fodderingham from Rangers on a free transfer on a three-year deal. So maybe that's an indication that they might be planning for, for life without Henderson. And the other point that, that we need to make is what's just been talked about then is the new contract that De Gea signed on these humongous wages. There's not many clubs that will be able to take that level of, of cash on. I mean, the only one I can think of really is PSG. So it, it's what it's it's going to come down to whether United fancy, fancy sticking with what they've got and, and trying to manage De Gea through this situation and build his confidence because it is his confidence. His confidence will be shattered by the last season or two on what's gone on because I think it must be five or six high-profile errors this season, which is a lot for a goalkeeper that has been previously mentioned as the best in the world. I mean, I don't. I think at one point he may well have been the best in the world, but we certainly can't say that with the emergence of other goalkeepers uh, across Europe. You know, I'm thinking obviously of Edison. Don't and dare mention Alisson. <laughs> Alisson, uh, I'm thinking of our black. You know, they're, they're all better than him by some way. And I think, you know, United probably need to support the player and try and build his confidence and, and get him into a position where he, where he's somewhere near the level that he was a couple of seasons back because it's alarming to see. And I think it's, you know, no one wants to see it because he gets absolutely hammered by the media when it happens. And I didn't see the game live, so I just watched the highlights this morning of it and I was like, oh, wow, for... I mean, he was unlucky, obviously, on Maguire's own goal because it took a ricochet and it's gone in off off Maguire. But for the other two, it's goalkeeping basics and, and they've got to really work on that with him and, and try and iron out these kinks that have come into his game in a rather alarming fashion. Because I said to someone this morning, listen, I still think there's a really good goalkeeper in there somewhere. Um, they've just got his... He obviously needs an arm rounding from someone and he needs that reassurance and... And like I said before, there's not much time before next season before we're back into action and decisions need to be made around Henderson and, and mm. De Gea. I mean, Gut says that United will stick with De Gea and Henderson will spend another season on loan at, at Sheffield United. But it is not good to see on a big stage like that where the keeper's making mistakes of that magnitude. Goals are never purely goalkeeper's errors. Well, very rarely well, are they purely yeah. goalkeeper's errors. It's to do with the front four or the back four rather in front of you Maguire was shocking yesterday United yeah. were poor all over the park yesterday and, they, and defensively they have been weak this season Manchester United I think it's a little bit early for um, Henderson to take the number one jersey at Manchester United I think they should look to loan him out for another season De Gea hasn't become a terrible goalkeeper 
overnight. He has made some mistakes, but he is still up there amongst the world's best. Mm. I think there's another season in him, at least before he looks to move on and maybe mm. give Henderson another season where he seems happy. Leave him at Sheffield United, live, give him another year on loan and then promise him the number one jersey. OK, well, talking of personnel shuffles at Manchester United, a bit of breaking transfer news this morning on Football Social Daily is that Birmingham City's young teenage star Jude Bellingham has agreed to join Borussia Dortmund. Now, of course, he was a target for Manchester United. Also, Chelsea and Manchester City said to have been looking at him too. But it is Borussia Dortmund that will be his final destination when this championship season is over. He'll leave Birmingham and join the German club, which also raises question marks over whether Jadon Sancho might depart Borussia Dortmund and arrive in the Premier League at Manchester United. So just a little bit of one to kind of ponder over, perhaps on a future podcast. I'm sure we'll be talking about it. I want to talk about Olivier Giroud, though, someone at Chelsea who scored again, and he's proven the doubt is wrong, Steve. And I dare say Frank Lampard, who only a week ago came out and said experience is overrated. Yet where would he be without Giroud post-restart? I don't think they'd be anywhere near the top four with the the way that his goals have counted for them. Yeah, you know, he's just writes him off at your peril, isn't it? Um, and, he, you know, you play Giroud and he'll, he'll score goals for you. You know, he's that type of player. I think, you know, I just wonder if there's something that's gone on behind the scenes with him and Frank and there might be something that Frank's not quite, you know, liking, but he's obviously, you know, felt the need to play him in recent times. But he does come off the bench most of the time and... Um, I just think, like I said in the podcast last week, I think any squad would, would, would benefit from having him in because he is something different. And he just keeps scoring. Like I say, you play him, you score him. He was prolific at Arsenal. Um, he's, when he plays at Chelsea, he scores goals. And he, he's, a, he's been very successful in his career. And I just think that, you know, put your faith in him, you know, but make him the man because there's still plenty of life in Olivier Giroud. And took his goal well again yesterday. And um, yeah, can't, can't give him enough praise, really. I love Giroud. I think he's brilliant. I think he's a great player. I think he's a beautiful man as well, <laughs> which doesn't do him any harm at all. But I just think... going into new territory. <laughs> he's, he's just an unselfish number nine who scores goals. He offers you everything. Yeah. And I, I think purely the reason he didn't feature early doors for Chelsea was because Tammy Abraham was playing so well and there was mm. no room for Giroud. But you've got to give him massive credit for... He looked like he was going to be leaving in the January transfer window and that move never came about. And since then, he's clearly applied himself in training. Got a new he's, contract. Yeah, and he's mm. got himself back into first-team contention and he is now, I'd say, I'd say he's the first pick centre-forward for Chelsea. I mean, it's going to change next season with the transfers that's coming in and whether he then looks for a move in the summer because he's not going to be that number one I don't know but yeah I think he's absolutely quality and yeah. I've been a long time fan of Giroud I think one word to describe Giroud would be underrated I don't yeah. I don't think there'd be many people that disagree with that one I bet Arsenal are kicking themselves because he'd be a great addition for Arsenal at the moment I don't know Aubameyang's pretty good <laughs> yeah but <laughs> he's pretty good yeah, but again it's that number two spot both? isn't it why not both yeah exactly mm. yeah so Giroud scores uh, and another couple of goals for Chelsea meant that they won against Manchester United by three goals to one and they will face Arsenal in the FA Cup final on the 1st of August. Two really successful London clubs in terms of the FA Cup go toe-to-toe at Wembley once again. Also on the Chelsea front, another bit of transfer gossip that's been uh, sort of simmering to the surface this morning is that Kai Havertz is close to signing for the club. 81 million euros, roughly in the range of that, to bring him to Stamford Bridge. Are Chelsea poised to act in this transfer market, which is probably going to be choppy, Steve, in a more effective way than some of the other teams in the Premier League because of the transfer ban from beforehand? They've 
almost save money inadvertently beforehand and now with the way that the market's going to be skewed because of coronavirus this could put them in a real pole position to take advantage of those players that may need to be sold this summer by clubs to boost the coffers yeah absolutely yeah they've, they're not messing about are they in the transfer wind and i think obviously with Zayek and Werner coming in already for what probably 90 90 million between the two of them uh, Havertz would be a great signing for Chelsea and I think you know they would be the the envy of a lot of teams in, in Europe including mine because who've had eyes on Kai Havertz for a long time and um, it's just a, a statement of their ambition really uh, I'm not sure where he, you know where he slots in, in into that midfield I think probably there would be players sold um, potentially to, to accommodate him but he's, he's a very exciting player and um, you know, he obviously wants to come to the Premier League and, um, yeah, be a bit jealous of that, to be fair, if they, come, if, if they sign Kai Havertz. I think that would be, um, that'd be a bit of a, a bit gutting, really. Um, but they have, they've probably saved up a load of, sorry now, they've probably saved up a load of money in the last kind of year and a half and, and they've probably had the chat in, in there and, and, and to Abramovich and said, listen, you know, the others are going to be standing still here and kind of, keeping the power away, you know, if we can strike while the iron's hot on this and, and go against, a, how you put it, a troppy transfer market and, um, you know, it'll probably pay dividends. I think the problem Chelsea have is that uh, they can sign Havertz, they can sign Zayek and they can sign Werner um, until they sort the defence and mm-hmm. the goalkeeper situation out, um, they're, st- they're still probably not going to win the league. Um, because I think we've seen in the past teams that can score a lot of goals and be quite attractive on the eye, but if they ship in an average of two goals a game, um, they're not going to win the league. And um, I think that's where Chelsea need to be uh, looking, I think. I think with Havertz, they're probably going, let's sign him before someone else does, um, because you know they're desperate for, for commanding centre-halves, and they are, because I don't think any of the Chelsea centre-halves are good enough, in all honesty. Nathan uh, Ake back from Bournemouth, there's your answer. Yeah. But, you know, how much is that going to cost? Well, they might probably have you know, a buyback maybe. clause, won't they, I think, probably from when they sold yeah. him in the first place. He's got a decent future ahead of him as well. He looked, I mean, he looked brilliant at the start of the season and his form kind of dropped off a little bit. So there's a player in there. And Rudiger, well. Rudiger's yeah. been injured for a lot of the season. I do think Chelsea have their problems and you're right, Steve, they do need to solve them. I think Havertz coming in will probably see the end of Willian at the club. But we, we kind of knew that anyway, so I think he might yeah. be on his way. Um, but as you mentioned, still lots to talk about in terms of who Chelsea bring in and also... There's always a risk when you sign players that have never played Premier League football before. Mm. Are they going to come in and hit the ground running or are they going to be a flop? More to talk about after this break here on Football Social Daily because there are games tonight in the Premier League. It just never stops, does it? That's the way we like it here on this podcast. So stick around and we'll speak to you after this. Football Social Daily. Spin like royalty here at kingcasino.com. Over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. Please play responsibly. BeGambleAware.org. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social, your daily Premier League podcast. We're the only podcast that focuses on the English top flight every single day of the season. So join one of the 1.3, 1.4 million people who have downloaded the podcast. Unbelievable numbers and we really appreciate your support. It's humbling to know that that many of you have downloaded the show this season. We really appreciate it. So hit the subscribe button. And if you like what you hear, you won't ever miss another episode again. Right, there are some Premier League fixtures tonight to go through. Most of them 
not the most exciting, let's just put it that way. Let's start at the Amex Stadium where Brighton take on Newcastle United in a 6pm kickoff in what is quite simply, Jim, a dead rubber. Brighton are safe, Newcastle are safe. Although Graham Potter will want one more point for the Seagulls just to secure that mathematical safety. They're currently not quite mathematically there yet, but it would take a huge swinging goal difference for them to be dragged back into it. If I was listening to the podcast, I would probably be, be hitting pause about now, given these three games that are coming up this, after, this evening. None are really... Yeah, I mean, I mean, go and do something else. You've got 20 minutes or so. I mean, just for goodness, don't bother with Make this. Make a bit. pot noodle. Yeah. Um, that only not... takes three minutes, though. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about my remote working lunch choices instead of uh, these three games. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, you're right. Graham Potter wants mathematical safety, and I think safety in itself is an achievement for Bolton. Uh, Bolton. Brighton. Bolton. For Brighton this season. I think it's really interesting when you look at these two clubs, actually, because both clubs, you'd say, have potentially overachieved slightly this season. And both managers, I think, have proved themselves in Steve Bruce and Graham Potter to be very capable of doing the jobs they're doing. But the fan bases have very different reactions to each manager's. Newcastle's fan base 100% believes that Newcastle could be doing better than Steve Bruce, whereas Brighton's fan base, my understanding, is they're very happy with the style of football that Graham Potter's brought to Brighton and think there are good things ahead. So, yeah, I mean, for Brighton this season, it was all about mathematical safety, and they are, as you say, a point away for doing that, and that should be a massive achievement for Graham Potter and something that they can build on next season. As for Newcastle, it's kind of done, isn't it? They're not going to get European football. They're not going to get relegated. They're going to keep Steve Bruce. The takeover is never going to happen and it's just going to continue again next season. Ellipsis. That's yeah. all you need yeah. after Newcastle. Newcastle, ellipsis. They're, they're, they're safe and it is about completing that takeover for them and looking forward to next season. I think huge credit should go to Brighton, as you say, Jim, because they had the toughest run in for me of all the sides down there in the bottom five, six of the Premier League table. Um, they got the job done early with a win over Arsenal and a draw at Leicester. And that was the four points that they needed, specific, especially mm. with games against Liverpool, Manchester United and Manchester City all in that run in as well. Um, it was always going to be uh, a difficult ask for them. So they managed to get the job done. They need a point to secure it mathematically. Everton also typically mid-table at this moment in time. They well, uh, they travel to Sheffield United this evening, another 6pm kickoff, Steve. This is a bigger game for the Blaze than it is for Everton. Everton have nothing to play for, but Sheffield United are still on the hunt for, your, for a Europa League place. So should they win this tonight? They've been patchy post-restart. They've lost a couple of games 3-0, but then again, they've turned in wins against Chelsea and the like. So, you know, you just you, unusually for Sheffield United, who have been quite consistent. You're not really sure what you're going to get from them. No, not at the moment. And and that's been the, the funny thing, really, hasn't it? Because I think, you know... Um, Pre-lockdown, they were, they were looking kind of nailed on, weren't they, for, for it? But I think Sheffield United will probably grind it out tonight. I expect it to be quite a close game. I think, you know, Carlo Ancelotti will, will make Everton, who've not lost, who've not won in four games, um, difficult to break down. And it's just, I think we're, we're, we're more interested in this for the, from a Sheffield United point of view and whether they can, you know, force their way into a seventh position, which probably will be Europa League place at the expense of Wolves. But... I think that um, you know Sheffield United will 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 go at them tonight and they'll try and kind of you know get the three points in a timely fashion and um, set it up for Sunday uh, for the last day of the season. And um, for Everton, I just think it's it's been another season of of I want to say mediocrity, but I think that that'd be kind. I mean, I think Everton finishing bottom half. 
uh, with, with the level of investment that, that's gone into it is absolutely shocking. Um, and I think that if Sheffield United can get the win tonight, that'll just that'll just be you know personify Everton's season really. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I'm going to go for one 0 to Sheffield United tonight. Everton have blown hot and cold since the restart, Jim. Have you they? Where, where was the hot bit? Well, they've won two, <laughs> lost two, drawn two. I mean, that's a pretty hot and cold, if you ask and me. They've been really disappointing since. The, I mean, look at their last four games. Was a draw with Aston Villa. They got thumped by Wolves. They drew with Southampton. They lost to Spurs. It's been uninspiring, and I expected much more from Carlo Ancelotti. I thought potentially the break, the lockdown period, would give him a chance to kind of put his stamp on the team, and it just doesn't seem to have happened. I, you know what you were saying earlier with Southampton and the pressure giving them freedom to play football? I guess you could say it's the same with Everton potentially, but it's the other side of the coin. It's they're safe. They were not going to get European football. They weren't going to get relegated, and they just don't seem interested anymore. It feels like they've been on the beach for the last three weeks. So uh, I uh, think it's a really big. I think I agree with Steve. I think bottom half of the table is really disappointing, and I think Everton fans will be looking quite nervously at these recent results and going, "Oh, hang on." What's going to happen now? What's going to happen next season? Because next season is the season they need to push on. I think that's the key, like you mentioned earlier on on the show about the Tottenham fans not being in the ground. I think even though this game's at Bramall Lane, I think with the games that Everton have had at Goodison, whether it's been behind closed doors and there's been no supporters there, from when I've been at Goodison, because of the, the way the ground's laid out and, and it's quite an old field stadium, mm. the fans can get on top of you when Everton aren't playing very yeah. well and it's not a nice place to be as a player. So Home I, I, I do think, now, hasn't it? I, yeah, I, I do think that that maybe has come back to, to kind of not haunt Everton, but be a hindrance for them. Final game we're going to talk about, 8.15pm kickoff at Molyneux, Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Crystal Palace. Palace, Jim, they're in shocking form. Are they going to end that form tonight against Wolves? No. OK, cool. <laughs> Steve, Wolves need to win to keep pace with Spurs and go above them in the Europa League race. After Spurs beat Leicester 3-0, as we've already discussed, it's pretty much if they want Europa League, Wolves are going to have to beat Palace tonight. Yeah, and I think they will do. I think you know, they'll have a bit too much for Palace. And it's funny with Palace, isn't it? Because we were giving them uh, a lot of props uh, a few weeks back, you know, when Project Restart uh, be recommenced or commenced, if you like, because, you know, they, I think they, they hadn't lost in four games. And since then, it's just all gone to pieces, hasn't it? And they've just been abject, really. And um, you can't see anything else apart from a Wolves win tonight. And um, that'd be bad news for Sheffield United, obviously. Um, because I think that would probably end. Would that end their hopes if they got? Yeah, it probably would do, wouldn't mm, it? Yeah. Um, and um, but Wolves have been a revelation. You know, the Wolves have been progressing really nicely in the last three seasons, I think, and they've been kind of moving along. The the club's well run. You know, the the players that have come in have hit the ground running and delivered for them. And I think you know it's going to be another season of, of Europa League football for um, uh, for Wolves next season. I think Sheffield United and Wolves will both win tonight, and I think it'll be a uh, um, you know credit where it's due to them. They've been both been fantastic this season, and um, lots for Roy Hodgson and Palace to ponder really. And um, you know you talk about um, you know having lost the last six games on the bounce for Palace. I think you know. Will there be a decision made there at the end of the season? Um, I mean, the, the the guy who runs Palace, whose name is um, Steve Parish. Steve Parish, that's it. Um, is it, quite a sensible, you know, logical bloke. But you know, if Palace lose another two games, and he, he might fancy you know swapping things round. In, it feels like um, it's a personnel thing at Palace, though, doesn't it? I mean, they just can't score goals, and they haven't been able to score goals all season. But the thing we saw at the first 
half of the season was they didn't concede goals either. But that kind of defensive solidity has gone out the window. And I'm not sure how much you can blame Roy Hodgson for that because they've got a championship team there with the exception of a couple of players. And they're just... I mean, you, what, 30 goals they've scored this season. You can't expect to stay in the Premier League only scoring 30 goals across an entire football season. And somehow they've managed it this year. There does need to be something that happens at Crystal Palace if they're going to stay in the Premier League next season. But I don't think anything's going to happen. I think Roy Hodgson will stay unless he chooses himself to leave because of a lack of investment in the squad. They won't, won't they again won't bring in players. They'll probably let a few contracts expire from their more significant high earners. I think Benteke's contracts due to expire in the summer. And it's just it's difficult to see them doing anything other than potentially being once again down there in the bottom three, four of the table. And I think that's the frustration for Crystal Palace fans. We've spoken about it on the podcast before. The club needs a bit of ambition and we don't seem to have seen that recently. But what about Wolves just finally, Jim? I know that they're going to want to win tonight, obviously, to keep their Europa League hopes alive. And although they're not going to finish top four, which looked possible at one stage, mm. they can still get into the Champions League if they win the Europa League. Of course, that tournament isn't going to take place until the Premier League season is over. So their focus will be on the Premier League first. But I mean, for Wolves, still loads to play for, even now. And that's got to do them a favour, hasn't it? The fact that it's going to be Europa League after Premier League, because they're not going to be continuing that ridiculous... I mean, say not going to be continuing that ridiculous fixture congestion. What have we had over the last month? We've had ridiculous <laughs> fixture congestion. They played their first competitive game of the season, a Europa League qualifier, in July last year. So over a year ago. But that doesn't seem to be affecting them too much yet. So there's no reason why it's going to affect them in those last few games of the season. But I think that could do them a favour. That ability to then switch and focus on the Europa League going forward. And... I mean, will they, if they don't win the Europa League, do they want to be in that mix for the Europa League again next season via league qualification? Because, I mean, surely they should have started playing those games already, <laughs> essentially, for next season's Europa League. So, it, I mean, it's going to be even worse than normal, that fixture mm. congestion, those flights and midweek trips out to Eastern Europe and all that kind of thing. So I think there is a question mark, not that they really have a choice whether they if they do qualify, they can't go, ah, I don't fancy it this this year, lads. We'll just leave it leave out of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that puts an emphasis on the importance of winning the Europa League to get that space in the Champions League, I guess. OK, Wolverhampton Wanderers versus Crystal Palace tonight in the Premier League and 8.15pm kickoff at Molyneux. And that concludes today's Football Social Daily. So many juicy talking points to get through. We made it through to the end. Pearson gone, United out of the FA Cup. Chelsea looking good with Giroud up front. Loads to talk about, of course, not just on today's show, but in future shows as well. So hit the subscribe button and you won't miss another one because we're here every single day of the season until the season is over. But that's it for today's podcast. Thank you, Jim. Cheers. Thank you, Steve. Cheers. I'm Niall and we'll see you on the next one. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.